so welcome to JPM. I see a lot of faces I don't recognize, which is awesome. Uh, that can only be good. Either that or I'm just getting very old. I, I, meet, I feel like I meet every week I meet people that have been attending our church for months, and I just don't know them. Uh, but we'll start um, with a word of prayer. So let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much for tonight. We thank you, God, that every person that is here tonight is here for a purpose. We're not wasting our evening here. We're not just coming in and filling in a seat and speaking out prayers, hoping that they'll be heard. Lord God, we know that we've been called here. We are standing in a place of intercession on behalf of this nation. And we thank you, God, that what you find here, when you come here and you look at what's happening in this room, you see a room that is full of faith, a room that is full of hope, a room of people that are standing upon your promises. So we thank you, God, for the work that you're doing tonight. We know, God, that sometimes our prayers feel so humble, they feel so inadequate to address the great things that are happening in this nation. And yet we know, God, that you use the humble. Lord God, you use our humble words to shake and move the nation. So we thank you, God, that what we're doing here tonight is not in vain. Every word that is spoken, Lord God, is an affront to hell, is an affront to the enemies, um, enemies' works in this nation. We thank you, God, that with every word that we speak, with every word that we pray, we are bringing heaven down here on earth. So we say yes and amen. We thank you that you are bringing your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. 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 Um, So as my roommate introduced uh, me, I am the director of K1 Prayer Tabernacle. And something really funny happens when you have to minister every week for at least two hours. You can't move. You can't go anywhere for two hours. So you're just sitting there. And you have to behold the face of Jesus for two hours nonstop. Um, it's actually really wonderful. It's hard though, but it's wonderful. Um, what happens at the very beginning, I feel like it's, you can ride off on people's, you know, passion and zeal, how good the music is, or if it's not very good music that day, then, you know, you show grace. Um, but what happens at the very beginning is, um, you come before God and I feel like you get reacquainted with him in some ways. You... For the first few minutes, you go past all the cliches, if that makes any sense. And there comes a point when you have nothing left to say. You're like, yes, Jesus, we love you, Jesus, we lift your name, Jesus. Uh, yeah, burn in our hearts, Jesus, you know? Like, and you, you do that for a few minutes, and then there comes a point where you just have nothing else to say. You can't hide behind your words anymore. You can't hide behind like one-liners, like Christian cliches, you know, taglines, you know, hashtags. You can't really hide behind any of these things. And you're very much confronted with the fact that maybe you don't know Jesus as much as you think you do. And you kind of have to do like face-to-face, like, uh, I didn't want to give this illustration, but I did last time. And I think people walked away thinking that I was very bitter. But um, I'll kind of do it again. So Mariah is right here today and I think for the first maybe two minutes we could do small talk like we'd be like yeah how was your week yeah so um how was work yeah and I guess I'll see you tomorrow at church and we can do that and then after two minutes if I had to talk to you for two hours there would come a point when okay to put aside the small talk and I have to take a good look at you and start to see you for who you are see your eyes see your hair I hope I'm not creeping you out uh, like I start to see the like see you as a person 
Um, and I can't see you as like as a concept or as an idea or as this this, this blob called Mariah, uh, Maria. My bad. Oh, Mariah. I like Mariah too. Um, Maria, um, you can't you can't hide behind that. And there comes a point where you just need to deal with a person that's in front of you, and that's something very fun to watch at K1 when you're in the front and you watch first timers walk into K1. Um, they feel very awkward usually at the beginning because they're like, are you kidding me? You're going to do this for two hours? Just like sit here and sing about flowers and, and about doves and uh, about burning hearts. You know, like they, they look very awkward because it's not our normal way of dealing with God. Because sometimes we do like this prayer thing and sometimes we, you know, do the sermon thing and we just want to quick and fast and like, let's get out of here. We got good notes. We got, you know, we, we can comment on, on all these messages and we can... Uh, talk about it on our Facebook statuses and all that, but you can walk away from something like that without ever having looked upon Jesus, like actually looking upon a person. So this is my desire for tonight. It's a very simple mission that I have for tonight. I'm simply going to paint for you a picture of Jesus that is beautiful. And from that place, I promise you that everything about your prayer life will change. So it's going to be the most impractical yet practical message. Um, and this is something that I feel very passionate about, especially because I feel like prayer meetings, you can get away with just pure zeal for only so long. Um, if you really want to go long term, you need to be connected with the person of Jesus. That's the only way you're going to make it all the way through. Um, so I don't know if many of you were here. Oh, my sound changed. Um, I don't know if you were here last um, month, but Pastor Leo, he preached this amazing message. Were you guys here? Who was here last time? It was an amazing message, wasn't it? It was basically putting this, um, putting this prayer movement into context, into the context of what's happening in the nation the inheritance, the spiritual inheritance of this nation, and you could feel the momentum. It's almost like you're praying, you're praying, and you feel this momentum of like prayer come up behind you and kind of like push you forward because what's been happening in this nation and what's happening right now here is not isolated. We're not in a vacuum praying for North Korea and for reunification and for revival. It's not in a vacuum. It's part of a larger sweeping movement of God throughout the ages and tonight, what I want to do is actually zoom out even a little bit more. So we, we are kind of looking at the, the history of the spiritual inheritance that we have regarding Korea in itself. And tonight, what I want to do is zoom out even a little bit more. So I want to talk about context and how much context matters. Can we show the first picture? That's okay. A baby's laughter is one of the most beautiful sounds you'll ever hear. Unless it's 3 a.m., you're home alone, and you don't have a baby. <laughs> that, is, that is awesomely creepy, you know? Context matters. You know, I love our babies here. If, you know, you see Olivia back there. If I heard Olivia's, you know, laughter, I would, like, melt into a little warm puddle on the floor. But if I heard her laughter... In my house at 3 a.m. when she shouldn't be there. I think I would freak out. Can we show the other one as well? I'm sorry and my bad mean the same thing unless you're at a funeral. <laughs> it's a little bit more morbid, right? 
But you get my point, though, right? <laughs> it means exact same thing. But context is like everything. Everything. Yeah, context is everything. Amen. So it makes a big difference where you are and and you know what the context is. Um, I want you to picture this. Imagine you overhear a conversation and you hear this guy who's saying, "You know, it was really hard, but you know, for her, I would do, I would do anything." Like I think I, I think I waited outside in the cold all night just to get a look at her, and um, she was totally worth it. You know, if you overheard, whoa, you guys, are, whoa, 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 <laughs> some girls are looking at me like, this is a fictional guy, okay? Um, <laughs> wow. Um, if you overheard this conversation, you'd be like, oh my goodness, who's this guy? He's like keeper. Until you hear this guy say, like, yeah, I mean. The night before Black Friday, waiting outside of Best Buy for that PS3, totally, totally worth it. And you think like, oh man, like you turn from like this 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 rock star guy to like really lame guy, you know, like the type of guy who lose sleep over PS3. If you, I think the guys are not laughing that much because they have probably done that. I'm sorry. <laughs> to uh, anyway. Um, so anyway, this is my point. This is my point. Um, as people of faith, we are straddling two worlds, you know, the eternal and the temporal, the word and the world. So when we are praying into all these current events, we are looking at the world and asking God, what, you are, what are you doing at, in this nation at this moment? What part do I play in this? Um, and that is a very healthy thing, although we cannot do it without God's word. And in the same way, on the other extreme, we can't just be looking at our Bible and completely, you know, immersed in the Bible, but absolutely having no idea what's happening in the nation. So you're reading this Bible completely out of context. You're not in the context of the nation that God has called you to, to pray into, to sow into, to sacrifice for. So something that would be more healthy would be to look around you at the world through the lens of the Bible. So you should be going around everywhere looking through the Bible, through the Bible, to your circumstances around you. And I feel like that would be a very healthy way to approach the different things that God is asking us to pray into um, as believers in this hour. So what I will do tonight is I will go through... I'm not, uh, not going to say it. Can you, you're going to stop uh, listening. Um, I'm going to go through the Bible from cover to cover, but I will be very fast. And after that, we're going to look at what context God has given us. For our prayer movement, if that makes any sense. So, um, starting from the very beginning, I'm not kidding. Starting from the very beginning, right after the preface and, you know, the table of contents and all that, you see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I've heard theologians talk about uh, this passage, and they say that the first four words of the Bible are probably the most important four words in all of history. In the beginning, God. So, like, there is no... It's just in the beginning, God. It's like beginning a story saying like, and then he killed her. You know, like in the middle of something that they feel like, oh, I don't need to really explain myself. It's very self-explanatory. So these first four words in the Bible, in the beginning, God, God is introducing himself without feeling the need to explain his existence. He is the uncreated, the self-existing, I am that I am. And this is the God we open up to in Genesis 1-1. This is how this this story opens. That's pretty crazy. 
like if I felt like I never had to introduce myself, I didn't have to say, my name is Susie Park, you know, and I am, you know, K1 director, blah, 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 without having to do that, if I just walked in and I assumed that everybody knows who I am, <laughs> there'd be something wrong with me. But if you're a God, I think you can, you can get away with that. So this is how the word opens up with a God that doesn't feel the need to explain himself. And then you move over a few chapters and he has created all heavens, all earth, all, um, all mankind as well. I'm going to just start speeding forward. What happens right after the fall? So this is Genesis chapter 3. And Adam and Eve have just blown it, basically. Um, and God does something in all, that he has never done in all of history, in all of eternity past. If you could go beyond this wall, like all of eternity past, he has never done. And that is ask a question. He has never in all of eternity past asked a question. And what is his first question? Where? Where are you? This is a God that has never explained himself. This is a God who says, let there be light. And there was light. Water, you only go till here. You don't move any, any, anymore. And they obey. The animals, they obey. And then mankind is the first of all creation to be insolent, I guess, enough to defy the word of God and hide from the presence of God. And then this brings God to ask his first question ever, which is, where are you? Now, I don't want you to treat this question just as any kind of question like, like I call, I call my roommate and I'm like, hey, rooms, where are you? You know, it's not just like a location-wise, tell me where you are. It's, it's encapsulating so much more. And where are you is his purpose statement, if, if I could say it this way. It's God's search for man. You guys have heard this before, right? Like every other religion is man's search for God. Christianity is the only religion that is God's search for man. He's the one who had to find us because we were dead. We were blind. We did not know that we were dead and blind. And he had to be the one who came to us and asked us the question, where are you? Um, So in the midst of all this, um, they finally fess up. And this is God, man, I can't imagine his heart as a father coming down, walking in the midst of the garden and asking his children, where are you? Because it's the first time they've ever hid from his presence and shame. I can't imagine that the kind of heart of a father behind that question. And then he does the most heartbreaking thing. He outlines for them the consequences of their sin. He does give, you know, a curse you know, to the serpent, to the, to the woman, and to the man. But one thing that we tend to overlook is that he places a curse upon himself as well. He seals his destiny as God in the first sharing of the gospel, which happens in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So this is the first mention of the gospel. This is the God who can see not just eternity past this way, but eternity forward as well. He already sees what's going to happen. He already sees that his son is going to not just come down here on earth, but he will crush the head of the serpent, but he will be bruised in his heel. And this is a a promise and a message that he gives um, to, to mankind along with the curses. And this sets them on a trajectory to find 
man. I don't know if you've ever read the scriptures this way, but if you were to look at the scriptures with the eyes of God's question of where are you, man's question of is there hope? Is there hope? All throughout this trajectory, man asking, is there hope? We are, we are dead in our sins. We are hopeless without your intervention. Is there any hope? Will you intervene? And God's promise of saying, I'm coming. I'm coming. You fast forward on. Um, you see Genesis 12 to 22. You see um, Abraham and Isaac and God's promise to Abraham for a name, land, and seed to become a seed to all nations. You know this passage where um, Abraham, he sacrifices his son Isaac on the altar. And God provide, provides for him an alternate sacrifice, and that is a ram. He says, instead of the life of your son, I'm going to provide for you a perfect sacrifice to, do, uh, to kill in his stead, and it's a ram. You guys know the story? This is a ram that is caught like, by the horns, and this is important because if it was caught in the thicket with any other place in his body, it wouldn't be an unblemished sacrifice. So it was just through the, the, the whatchamacallit, the horns. The horns? Antlers? Uh, no. Horns. Horns. Let's say horns. Um, so <laughs> the, God provides for them, in the nick of time, the perfect sacrifice instead of, instead of Isaac. So this is one life for one life. We move onward um, to the covenant between God and Moses. And God institutes a system for him to come to his people without killing them with his holiness. And that is through the tabernacle. He institutes for himself a system where in the Holy of Holies, um, there's going to be a perfect sacrifice that is given to him. There's going to be a high priest and the presence of God in its raw form is going to be there. And this is a meeting point between heaven and earth, if you were to think about it that way. The way that I would picture it would be something like this drum shield. I don't know if it would be similar dimensions, but imagine I were a high priest, and I would have to walk inside this drum shield. And inside this drum shield, God's presence is here. I bring in the blood offering of an unblemished sacrifice, and then I myself, a high priest, am there. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is a holy of holies incarnate. He is all three. He is the high priest. He is the unblemished sacrifice, and he is the full raw presence of God. He is a moving, talking, breathing holy of holies. Isn't that cool? Sorry. Uh, the nerd in me is like so excited. <laughs> There's a very big nerd in me, by the way. Anyway, then you move on to 2 Samuel, where we have the eternal king um, is, is foreshadowed in the institution of an earthly king. And then we move on to Psalms 2, the one who rules over the nations. You, you hear about the son before whom all nations will bow. You he, then you move on to the prophets and prophet after prophet. I don't know if you've ever had to read the Bible from cover to cover, but when you get to the prophets is it's hard it's hard because the entire time prophets so isaiah jeremiah ezekiel hosea micah nahum all these guys their basic message is return to the lord he is coming return to the lord he is coming and 
And time after time, these are voices that God has instituted in history to voice his purpose statement of where are you? You know, they are, they are voicing his purpose statement. I'm coming for you in the form of all these men throughout the ages who are trumpeting this message for all of humanity to hear. And it's prophet after prophet after prophet. Uh, have you ever read uh, Isaiah 53, where it's like the clearest depiction of Jesus Christ, where it talks about he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as the one whom men hid their faces. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He's talking about Jesus Christ ev- before he ever stepped into the scene. So this is somewhere, someone, somewhere along this line. If we're talking about timeline here, somewhere, someone here is talking about someone who's going to be walking into the scene right about here. And he's looking at Jesus Christ and saying, this guy is coming. You better be ready. Every prophet from here on out is talking about the coming one. Repent, repent. The kingdom is coming. And at the very, very end of of the Old Testament um, is, is the prophet Malachi. I have a friend who called him Malachi. Which <laughs> Malachi is not a anyway Malachi Malachi guys it's not Malachi anyway so Malachi he's the last of these prophets in the Old Testament and his basic message is summarized and for behold the day is coming. It's burning like an oven when all the arrogant and the evildoers will stumble. The day is coming. Uh, The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall shine with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. And the day when I act uh, on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. So this is the last voice that speaks out, that trumpets out this statement from God in the Old Testament. If some scholars say that uh, chronologically, it might have actually been Hosea, who was the last one uh, to speak forth his message. And it can be really proven, but I kind of personally, I like that idea because I can imagine God, you know, ordaining all these prophets one by one, you know, say that, you know, tell them to repent, tell them to turn around, tell them that I'm coming. And then the last in the last ditch effort, he anoints a man not just to say this message, but live out this message from the place of a lover. You know, like, he's like looking at Hosea and he's saying, I don't want you to just say this message. I want you to taste the bitterness of rejection. I want you to taste the sourness of of betrayal. I want you to know what it feels like to humble yourself and make yourself vulnerable to someone who's going to betray you. And I want you to love them anyway. I don't know, there's something so powerful about if that were the last person that trumpeted out this message right before 400 years of silence comes. 400 years of silence. I don't know what that would do to you, but if I were an Israelite during this time, I would have felt like, has God lost hope? Has he given up? Has he stopped speaking? Um, are we too far gone? Have we blown it? So for, for 400 years, there's silence. And then just when we feel like there's no, it's the point of no return, 
we see the New Testament opening up in Matthew with a genealogy. Okay, sorry. The, the, the nerd in me again. Um, it feels very anticlimactic to open up with a genealogy. You know, it's the part that you skip usually when you're reading your Bible. But to open up this grand entrance, Jesus Christ in the flesh, he comes and steps on this earth and you open up with a genealogy. But this is what God is doing. It's, it's answering the question of, is there any hope? Is there any hope? All throughout the Old Testament, you see, you strewn out, like all throughout the Old Testament, you see genealogies. And for me, what that does is like, Where's the promised one? Where's the promised one? All these genealogies, all these genealogies. We're going to narrow it down to the promised one. And then Matthew opens up, starting with Abraham, all the way, Jesus Christ. I've heard of testimonies of Jewish people getting saved just by reading the genealogy. It's like they see their history, and then it ends in one promised one, the seed of the woman that was ordained to crush the head of the serpent all the way from Eden. He was ordained to do that. And he opens up, the New Testament opens up with genealogy. It's like, here's your deliverer. I've, I've come through on my promise. That is so powerful. Sorry. (sighs) That is so powerful. God answers his promise. After a silence of 400 years, it opens up with this genealogy. And in the words of John, you know, a few books later, it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Does this sound familiar? Like, word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's walking with us just like right here. When God was walking in the cool of the garden looking for his children. So we fast forward all the way to the New Testament and you see the light of the world has come and the kingdom is here. The kingdom has come is his message. Everything that Jesus says and everything that he does is the kingdom is here. We can't dichotomize two things that he does. Like these are his works and these are his words. Both of them are proclaiming the same message. He says, the kingdom is here. Salvation is here. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And when he heals somebody, when he sets somebody free, he's still acting out on that same message. He's still teaching the same thing. He's saying the kingdom is here, blind I see. The kingdom is here, the dead come to life. So he's still preaching the same message. He's come with only one mission, and that is the kingdom is here. If you were to, sorry, I'm going to take my notes uh, just so I don't screw it up. Um, If you were to, one last time, we're going to rewind all the way back to Genesis 1. So if you were to look at the whole Old Testament with the lens of where is Jesus is in, in this entire, you know, two-thirds, three-fourths of, of my Bible. Um, in Genesis, Christ is the creator. In Exodus, Christ is the deliverer. Leviticus, Christ is the eternal sacrifice. In Joshua, he's a captain of our salvation. In Judges, he's a steadfast judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he's a kinsman redeemer. In Samuel, he's the anointed king. In Nehemiah, he's a rebuilder. In Psalms, he's a good shepherd. In Proverbs, he is the wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, he's the only hope. In Song of Songs, he is the bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's a prince of peace and wonderful counselor. In Jeremiah, he's a righteous branch. In Lamentation, he's a weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he is the watchman. In Hosea, he's a faithful husband. 
in Joel, he's, a, he's God's outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In Jonah, he's the mercy of God. In Nahum, he's avenger of God's elect. In Zephaniah, he's the glory of Israel. In Haggai, he's a restorer. In Malachi, he is the glorious promise. So this is Jesus Christ all throughout the Old Testament. That is the Old Testament. It gives you Jesus. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he lives a perfect life. He dies a sinner's death. He defeats death as he rises up from the dead. He ascends. He sends down his Holy Spirit and the church is birthed. And a promise that was only for the Jews through Cornelius and Peter, all of a sudden is opened up for all the Gentiles, all the way to the ends of the earth. All of a sudden this opens up. This was not open for us. This was not open for us until this point. So all of a sudden, the ends of the earth is an actual reality. It's attainable. The promise given to Abraham that all the nations will be blessed through him is a reality on this side of the cross. The church spreads, waves of persecution spread throughout the known world, and the church still stands. This is the narrative that God has painted for us through scripture. It's all pointing to a person, not just an idea, not just, you know, this this thing called a prayer movement, this thing called revival, this thing called whatever, you know, it's a person that we are pursuing and we're seeing his will come to pass here on earth. One more thing. And this is the the concept. Oh, did I say I wasn't going to do, I'm going to do one more time. (laughs) So here, what did Adam and Eve do when they realized they were naked? They covered themselves with fig leaves and God provided for them a different covering, right? That was through the animal skin. That means nothing to us except when we are here in Eden and we have perfect fellowship with all creation, killing an animal is like killing like your pet dog, like something that you're very perfectly connected to. Um, And then when you see their blood shed on your behalf so that you can live and cover your nakedness, something very different from just a random animal and you cover yourself with their skin. Then you move on. When you see, when you see the Passover being instituted, it's one lamb to cover for what? For household. So one lamb, one life covers a household. You move on and you see the Holy of Holies. It's one sacrifice covers a nation. And then when you finally get to this point, is one sacrifice covers all of humanity. You see the progression. It's all Jesus. Uh, so on this side of the cross, in the New Testament, in Matthew, once again, Christ is the king of the Jews. In Luke, Christ is the son of man. In John, Christ is the living word. In Acts, Christ is the power on high. In Romans, he is the justifier. In Corinthians, he is the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians, he is the liberator. In Ephesians, he is the chief cornerstone. In Philippians, he is a provider. In Colossians, he is the fullness of God. In Thessalonians, Christ is a soon and coming king. In Timothy, he is the mediator. In Hebrews, he is a high priest. In James, he is the great physician. In Paul, uh, in Peter's epistles, he is a chief cornerstone. In Revelation, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus, all throughout, all throughout the narrative, all throughout the narrative. Now, why am I talking about all of this? I've just outlined the the 
the Bible for you from a Christological perspective, seeing Jesus in everything. Hopefully this makes this book a little bit more palatable. It's a person that you are called to encounter through this book. So why am I talking about this? And I just have three points. Very easy. You thought you would dodge the, the whole three-point three, three point sermon. Um, so three points. Three points. The first is all of this matters because it gives us perspective. Perspective. So if you were to look at all of this trajectory and imagine that this is like we're heading here. This is the end times, like right here. This thing, this is the end times. And what if we're like right about here? Or what if we're right about here? Or what if we're right about here? We just don't know it. So we're like right up against here. This thing's about to come down on us. Um, What matters at this point? What matters? Prayer meetings, do they matter? How you handle your finances, does that matter? How you handle your relationships, how you pray for your family, how you steward your workplace, Those things have an eternal value because they're embedded in this narrative that is heading somewhere. And I feel like unless we see ourselves in this grand narrative, it's so easy for us to make mountains out of molehills and give improper weight to things that shouldn't have that much weight in our lives. So at this point, our question is, what matters? What holds weight? What are you investing in? What will last? What will last? You know, beyond beyond this. This is your life. If you're like right here and your life is over, just like one step, it's not very much. So what matters at this point? What you invest in, will it make it all the way there? That matters. That matters. Um, Every prayer that we pray, is it moving heaven? Is it moving the story forward in this direction? That is the impact. That is the legacy that we have been called to steward. So that's number one, just perspective. It should give you better perspective. It should rearrange your priorities. And second is, this is important because it gives us a warning. Now Luke 12, 35 to 37 says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. It's a warning. It's not, it's not to, to, you know, play the, the whole, like, the end is near, you know, like, you know, the kind of like the people that you see in the street a lot or, you know, whatever. Like, maybe we're, like, right here. Maybe we're right here, this thing. Like, we're about to see Jesus face to face, and we're, like, worried about, you know, like, Instagram. I mean, nothing wrong with Instagram, but you know what I mean, though, right? Like, does Instagram matter if, if like, this is this is right here? Does no Instagram does matter? I'm sorry. A lot of people, a lot of you guys love Instagram. Uh, what I'm saying is, be awake. Whatever you do, be awake. Be alert. Like this is right here. Be awake. Be found praying. Be found knowing the word. Um. I recently heard this crazy testimony of somebody who went through uh, torture. You know, he was doing ministry in, in a restricted area, and he, um, he was tortured for, I believe, at least a couple of years. And he didn't have access to a Bible then. And after he came out, they asked him, how did you stay so strong in the faith? And he said, I meditate on the word every day. 
And they said, are you, are you nuts? Like, you didn't have the word. And he said, I had it here. I wrote the word here and here, and that's what I lived off of for two years. And then they said, wow, I guess, like, God prepared you beforehand to be able to handle that. Um, and they asked him, here, take a piece of paper, and can you... Just from memory, can you write out all the scripture that you remember? And he filled out like over two pages back in front. And the first one, the first verse that he wrote out was Romans 12.1. It said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. What is, which is your reasonable service. So there, there was a man who was found ready with a word written here and here. And when he was being tortured, in his mind, he was thinking, this is my reasonable act of service. This is my reasonable act of service. This makes sense because I'm, I'm right here. I'm not isolated. I'm not in vacuum. I'm right here. This makes sense. In view of all of God's mercy all across this, you know, this entire storyline, this makes sense. It's reasonable. I can do this. I can suffer for, for Jesus how many, however many years I have. Um, I was very humbled. And I've encountered, you know, I've encountered people here and there who memorize scripture solely because they know that maybe one day this will be taken away. You know, who knows? In two weeks, this could be banned. All our copies, digital and, you know, paper, will be taken away. And then, uh, by then... It's like, what will you have in your mind? What will you have written in your heart? Are you ready for that? Are you found ready? Um, about knowing the word as well. And this is a question that really stumped me for a while. Is, you know, again, this timeline, and I'm right here, and imagine I'm a Pharisee, and I see Jesus Christ right here, and I'm a Pharisee who has read this for my entire life. I've memorized it. I've written it down. I you know, I write it in, in, in paper and tablets and put it on my head and all that. Um, how did I miss this? It's like, uh, it's written all over, you know, it's written all over the Old Testament. How did I miss this, this guy right here? How did I miss it? And what I've come to realize is the guys who were standing right here didn't see Jesus right here because they were expecting the Jesus that is coming right here. They're expecting the, the Messiah. They're expecting the, the ruler of the nations, the one who will come to avenge, you know, all injustices, who will make all things right, who will end all suffering. They're waiting for this guy. So when they're standing in the middle of here, of course it doesn't make any sense. Like, who is this guy? Who does he think he is calling, you know, our, our God, calling him father and all this? Like, we're waiting for that guy. You get out of here, you know? That's a very logical conclusion, right? So what if we are, again, here, and we don't recognize this because we're expecting that? How many of us are acquainted with this Jesus? How many of us have read the book of Revelation? How many of us have read the book of Daniel? How many of us have read the book of Isaiah and know this Jesus that we're supposed to be waiting for? We're supposed to be able to recognize him even through imposters and false prophets and all that. We're supposed to be able to recognize this guy. And many of us are expecting the suffering servant, the lamb who was slain, the humble servant of Jesus. You know, that's who we're expecting because we're not very acquainted with, with, with that guy there. So this is, 
For me, it's like, oh my gosh, like I better know my stuff. I better know the word. And granted, you know, these passages are very intimidating at times, but but it's kind of important, you know? <laughs> it's a little bit it's a little bit important. So, you know, the the Bible says that people who are right here, they're gonna be deceived, that all these people are gonna believe in a false prophet because they don't they don't take the word seriously, they haven't read the promises of God. Uh, for all all matter of reasons, how well do do I know this guy? Like, will I be able to recognize him? Will I be able to pick him off a crowd? Will I be able to look at a person and say, that is the one that we are actually waiting for, or this must be an imposter? Um, we need to know the word by then. Before all of this happens, by the way. Like, when we see a guy, we're like, oh, let's go to the book of Revelation. Like, oh, crap, like, I, I don't remember this part. Um, we can't be doing that. We should know it by then, you know? You can't cram for stuff like this. You need to, you need to know it. Man, procrastinators, man. Um, so, yes, it's, you know, the book of Revelation and book of Daniel and, you know, some parts of Isaiah, all this, it is a little bit intimidating. Yes, we understand that. But it's also given for a reason. And when we look even at the book of Revelation, we should be able to, fall in love with the Jesus that we see here as well. We better know him. I'm serious. Like when I read the book of Revelation, and I, do that, I don't do that all that often, but when I do, and I'm thinking if I'm standing right here and the things that are actually supposed to happen, happen, which is like a third of the world dying. That's pretty heavy stuff. Plagues, um, all this stuff. In the midst of that, am I going to be like, let me have a Bible study. Let me go to the book of Revelation. And then like, you know, no, 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 no. Then we need to be so in love and so waiting and so understanding of who we're going to be meeting that we're able to make it through this stretch without losing our love for Jesus. There's going to be a lot of things that we won't understand at this point. I feel like there will. There's going to be a lot of things that will make us get on our knees and ask, God, why? I don't recognize you. Why is this happening? Why them? Why me? There's going to be so many things that we're going to be asking. And unless we know who this person is, we'll have nobody to ask. We won't have a person to ask. The urgency in my heart is that at this point, and this is something that I preached before as well, good intentions will not get you through this. Like, I'm just going to be a faithful Christian. I'm going to do my Bible study and I'm going to pray every night. And that's going to be like my superstitious amulet against, you know, I guess, I don't know what, like losing my faith or something. But if you're not acquainted to a person and you're not in love with this person, you're not willing to lay down your life and sacrifice for this person, man, like, I don't want to, I don't want to think about what's, what's up for us if we're not in that place already. And secondly is obviously be found in prayer. You know, know the word and be found in prayer. These are warnings that we get just from seeing this timeline. Be found in prayer. This is what we're doing here tonight. I hope you guys are here, you know, because you feel like what's happening here is important. Um, the, the, the prayers that are prayed here are shifting a nation. They're shifting a nation. There's a lot of power that is compacted and encapsulated in this, within these four walls. And it's because we believe in God's promises, and that's why we come here every month. I hope that's the reason why you come here. Because otherwise, we are, we, 
we'd be better waiting outside a Best Buy, you know, all night for a PS3. You know, like, it doesn't, we'd be wasting our time here. Like, we don't need to be here if we are not believing in the prayer that we are lifting up to God. And lastly, lastly, this is my last point. This understanding of this whole timeline should inject purpose into everything you do. It should inject, like, purpose into everything you do, no matter how aimless you feel like it is, no matter how trivial you feel like it is. 1 Corinthians 9.26, it says, So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. 1 Corinthians 13.12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but we will see face to face. So we're right here, and we are heading somewhere. If I'm right here, my personal life goal is to look at this. My bad. I think I'm uh, feeding back. Is to look at this and be like, okay, I'm going to run towards this and collide against this as hard as I can. I'm not going to like, you know, inch closer. I'm going to look at this, set my eyes on this, and run as hard as I can for this little stretch that I have. That's my purpose in life. That's why I pray. That's why I'm a part of a church. That's why, that's why my faith is in, in context of all this, because I'm aiming for this. This is my purpose. Everything that you do should have a purpose because you know that you're part of this grander story. And you should feel the momentum of this thing driving you forward. You know, like, it's not like, oh, will this prayer get prayed? Will God get the glory? You know, like, will these people get saved? It's not that. It's like this monster of, a, like, a wave of momentum that's just sweeping forward and taking us all on this and you can just float and and hope that it takes you there or you can like paddle like crazy and and hit that and hopefully this is the kind of crowd that we have here tonight like i'm gonna hit that i'm gonna i'm gonna face plant onto that pole (laughs) like you're gonna be like jesus like we're running for you and then like you're gonna crash and you're gonna you're gonna see jesus face to face like we're gonna see jesus in 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 our mind's eye and our spirit and then there's gonna be one day when we actually crash into him and see him face to face that's what first corinthians 13 is talking about we see dimly in a mirror right as in a mirror right now and on that day we're gonna see face to face so this is what i will close with why are you here at jpm I think this is a very valid question. Why are you here? Why are you praying month after month for this nation? Why are you praying for unification? Why are you praying for revival? Why are you here in Korea? Why are you fighting to stay in Korea? You know? Why? In, in, this, in this stream of, of the grander story of God, why are you here? Why has God called you to stand at this point in time? What part are you taking in this entire story? Another question is, what are you doing what you do? Are you really running aimlessly? Maybe we are, and that's something that we need a reality check for. Um, Are we running aimlessly? Are we boxing as one beating the air? And I don't want to end like on a condemning note. So here's, here's the gem at the very end of the story, you know? The closing of this huge thing that started with, you know, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. 
it ends with Revelation 22, and it is, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Surely I am coming soon. And this is the best part. In response, the spirit and the bride, instead of hiding, like we did back then, instead of hiding, we say, come, come, Lord Jesus, come. Isn't that beautiful? Man, I'm going to ask the praise team to camp, come back up. And I'm going to lead us into just a time of prayer.